there's some awesome words that we were singing there of truths that are going to come true one day. Man, I'm looking forward to heaven. You know, we're going to be singing. You thought this was loud. We're going to be singing in heaven and there are going to be millions upon millions upon millions of people there. And then we get to the angels and they're going to be, I don't know how many of them, and the heavenly creatures and, I don't know, everything's going to be singing. So if you don't like loud singing, you'd better start getting used to it. But it's going to be awesome. But we've still got this little bit of life to get through, don't we? But eternity has begun. Let that hit home. Eternity has begun for you and I. If you're a believer today, we've started living eternal life. Because we're going to carry on living. It's fantastic. Let's just come before this God and let's just give, let's just come before Him and ask Him for mercy on us and to open our hearts so that He can speak. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we come before you not as princes, but as paupers. And Lord, we realize this morning that you are God, and we are mere mortals. And yet you love us. And we can sing about that love that you have for us. Those truths which overwhelm us at times, and which we unfortunately also forget so easily. But Lord, as we open your word, your living word to us, as we open it now, may it be your truth that comes alive. Because your spirit is here. Your spirit is in our hearts. And your spirit will do your work. But Lord, take those prejudices in our hearts away. And turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh so that your seed can penetrate our hearts and bring life and bring change. Do your work, we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. It's been very encouraging to go through this book and I'm really excited to get into the life of Jesus Christ himself. And as we see the way Jesus interacted with normal everyday people, from the high and mighty to the lowly paupers and those who were sick and demon possessed, it is really exciting to see how Jesus interacted with them, how he brought not just the truth into their lives, but how he in some cases changed their lives completely. And then we ask ourselves the question, so what can I learn? I really look forward to going through the rest of this book and learning from Jesus himself. So Luke chapter 4. Here we're going to read about a sermon they really did not like. Verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And Jesus taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. They were speaking well of him. Not glorified as we understand. 
And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogues were fixed on him. Now his sermon starts. And he began and said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. What an exciting passage. Now, would, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 11. Romans chapter 8. Verse 1 to 11. We're not going to cover all this this morning, so you can sit there. But Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 11, puts a little bit of context as well and colors in a little bit of their reaction to Jesus. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. 
those who are in the flesh, cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. We'll come back to that passage as we get through. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the of the term frenemy. Anyone heard of what a frenemy is? That's a bit of a frenemy. Are you friend or are you enemy? The little word fickle comes to mind as well because it's at the base of this, you see. What is the definition of fickle? It's a bit of an old English word, but it still rings very true to us. Well, the dictionary says this about fickle. Someone who is likely to change, especially due to having an opinion without having a reason. We'll come back to that. Someone who is not being firm in purpose will be fickle. Someone who is in, in, in unstable in themselves or instability, they will be fickle. Someone who is casually changeable is someone who is fickle. They are casually changeable. I like that. Whichever way the wind goes, they change. Someone who is not loyal in their affections. Now that has some relevance to us. Shakespeare put it this way. Fair is my love, but not so fair as fickle. Mild as a dove. You guys would recognize that. But neither true nor trusty. Brighter than glass and yet, as glass is, brittle. Softer than wax, and yet, as iron, rusty. Now, he was a bit uh, biased, old Shakespeare there. But um, that's how he saw the word fickle. You see, what is it pointing to? It's pointing to people who keep changing their minds about things. And in our relationship with Jesus Christ, think of that little picture I just put up there. Is your relationship with Jesus Christ a bit fickle? That there's a third party in your relationship with him. You see, the Bible is much more direct when it comes to being fickle. This is what the Bible says about that state of mind. It says, Romans 8 verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. The Bible doesn't mince words, you see. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. In this passage in Luke, we find that Jesus returns to the countryside where he grew up, Galilee. And he returns there in the power of a spirit. And you have to think back a little bit now. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. And at that baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit descended visibly on him in the form of a dove. And Jesus now comes in the power of the Spirit and he's already been doing work all over the countryside and he now begins teaching here in Galilee as well. But news about him had already spread 
And people were talking about these miracles that had happened. They were talking about this man who was preaching with such power and conviction. They were talking about spirits being cast out. They had seen him appoint some disciples already. All this had already happened. And now Jesus comes back to his home turf. And what is the reaction going to be to Jesus Christ when he comes in among those who know him well or who think they know him well? Well, we see that people respond to Jesus firstly with praise, as they do. You see, Jesus was a fantastic speaker. If he's the son of God and he created the human being, he knew how to communicate, didn't he? And so he was the perfect communicator too. And when Jesus spoke, people sat up and listened. When he whispered, they strained their ears to hear what he was saying next. They wanted to know what Jesus said. And when he spoke and they listened to the words, it came with such conviction into their hearts. And yet that only went to a point in them. And they saw all these amazing miracles. And now with Jesus coming into Galilee, they're looking forward to the same show. You see, Jesus was praised by people. What an awesome speaker he is. You should come and hear this great guy speaking. And yet their lives remained lifeless before Jesus. They heard his fantastic words and it didn't go into them. It went into their ears and it didn't go anywhere else. They were in for the show. And people praised God continuously. In the temples, they were so used to the scribes and the Pharisees speaking. And the scribes and the Pharisees taught as Jesus didn't. Their teaching was mundane. It was lifeless. They said words, but it didn't carry any authority with it. And here was this man who had come seemingly from nowhere, and he speaks to them with such authority. And so they admired Jesus. And that word praise is not Praise God for sending this man, Jesus. It is an, we like this speaker. It was an admiration of who this man was. And they wanted more great speeches from him. But it left people unchanged and unaffected. And then we read in the passage this morning that Jesus comes to his hometown. Now this was the town where he had grown up as a baby. This was the town where they taught him as a little boy to read the Torah. They taught him to recite those verses from God's word. This was home turf. They knew him very well. They knew his parents. They knew his brothers and sisters. And they had seen Jesus growing up. Just note in brackets what our text says, verse 16. You see, Jesus came as he regularly did on the Sabbath to the synagogue. And I just want to, in brackets, Handle this, and then we'll carry on with the passage. It was his regular habit to meet together on the Sabbath. You know what I'm going to say next. If it was important to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to meet with people in the Sabbath, to worship and to praise God, how much more is it so for us? How quickly do we find excuses to possibly stay away? You see, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, and you can turn if you want to with me. This is what it says. Hebrews 10, verse 24. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If Jesus had to meet with other believers, we need to be, meet with other believers. And why do we get together? To encourage each other in the Lord and to be encouraged through God's Word. But it is a discipline we must hold to. God has given it to us, we must hold to it. Close brackets. We're carrying on with the passage. Now, Jesus, as was his habit, goes into the temple. Now, we need to know a little bit about the procedure inside the temple. They also had a liturgy, if I could call it that. And so people would come to the temple, and the first thing they did when they got inside to start their service, they would bless the Lord. There was a special blessing that was said. And then a prayer would be prayed, asking God, to bless his people that had come together. And then they would take up the Old Testament law and they'd unroll that scroll and they would read an Old Testament passage. And after that, they would read one of the prophetic writings that God had given to them. And once that was done, and they'd do that standing up, by the way, and then once they'd done the readings, whoever was the reader or whoever was going to speak, they would then sit down and they would preach from a sitting down position. We just do it the other way around, I guess. And so when he sat down, they were expecting commentary. And so Jesus sat down and he would teach. Well, I want you to come with me to that scene there in the temple as Jesus starts the sermon. Jesus stands up and he reads from the passage before him. And what he reads, they'd heard before, because they'd been through Isaiah before. But Jesus read it in such a way that it came across with authority and with power. They'd never heard this passage read in this way. It seemed to come alive to them. But they'd heard it before. And so when Jesus sat down, he would start his sermon. What had they just read? Well, we can't gloss over it, you see. What had they read? This one who had been standing in front of them was reading words like this. The Spirit has come upon me, and I have been appointed to. And so here was Jesus Christ, and even though they didn't recognize him as the Messiah then, here was the Messiah himself reading about himself. Those prophetic words were now going to come true in this very moment in the temple. What was the Messiah's mandate and his mission? Well, the first thing the Messiah had come to this earth was to preach the gospel to the poor. And it wasn't just those who didn't have money. It was those who were poor in heart. It was those who were without Christ. And that was nearly the whole of humanity at that stage. He had come to preach the gospel. The Messiah had also come to this earth to proclaim release to the captives, those who were held bondage in sin. And as the Israelites and as the Jews heard this, they were thinking, the Messiah, yes, he is going to bring release to the captives. That's us, Jews. We're under Roman occupation. He's going to free us. The Messiah was coming to bring recovery of sight to the blind. Yes, and he would bring sight to the physically blind and they would see it happening right in their very eyes when later Jesus would spit in the dust 
take mud, put it on someone's eyes, and they'd see. But Jesus had also come to bring spiritual sight to Israel, and they didn't recognize it. He had come to set free the oppressed. And you know what? The difference was this time when this person was reading it. This one who was reading these words was not just proclaiming this truth, but he would also be the one who could actually bring it about. They all knew the relevance of this passage. The passage that Jesus started reading in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6. It was speaking about bringing freedom to people. But you know what God was saying there in that passage? He was saying, you Israel, you are supposed to have given or brought liberty to those in captivity. Not just through the message that I've given you, but also through the lifestyle that you lived before me. But you Israel, you failed me. And now the Messiah has come and he will do what Israel has failed to do. He would bring about the salvation of God and he would free those who suffer from oppression. He would do it spiritually and physically. And that was why the Messiah had come. But he didn't end there. You see, Jesus went on and he said, I've come to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. In other words, the year of Jubilee. And when Jesus stood up to proclaim those words, he was actually proclaiming the year of Jubilee to them. What was the year of Jubilee? Well, you can read up about it in Leviticus 25. I'll put the reference up there for you. But it was the 50th year that God had proclaimed. And during the 50th year, the Jubilee year, all slaves that had been taken into slavery would be released. What a year to look forward to, the 50th year. And all debts that had been accumulated were cancelled. I wish they'd bring that one along again. My house would be free. And all property that had been confiscated because people couldn't pay the debts would be returned to the original owners. Wow. And even the land was rested for a whole year. The animals were taken off it. It was, rem- it was allowed to re- remain fallow. In other words, the Messiah was saying, I am proclaiming a new start for you. It was fantastic, the year of Jubilee. And here the Messiah stands up and he reads it, the one who was actually going to bring this about. But it's a good thing that Jesus stopped reading there because in those same passages, if he'd read the next verse, he would have been proclaiming the day of the vengeance of our God. And that is the, at the end time when Jesus comes again, the second coming, that is that proclamation. But he stops short of that proclamation because there's a whole lot of life still to happen But that proclamation will be made one day and then it will happen. Jesus will come again. And then that is going to happen. The day of vengeance of our God. The day of judgment. So be warned this morning at the same time. And they knew the relevance when Jesus stopped reading there. But it didn't hit home. And so there Jesus is in the temple. He's read from the Old Testament law. He's read from the prophets. They've heard it all before. They don't recognize who this is standing up in front of them. And so he sits down. And now they're ready. Man, we're waiting for this sermon. It's all good to hear. There's silence here. 
And Jesus starts, and he gives them a three-point sermon, Dave, a three-point sermon. He gives them a three-point sermon. Just That's how it is today. The first point he says is this. Listen to this. Jesus says to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying, I am the Messiah. Now, at that stage, you could have heard a prayer shawl drop to the ground. They were in shock. What? You? Remember, he's on home turf. The second point, it was a very short point he made. The second point he made was this. You see, every Jew knew that Isaiah 61, which was read, was associated with the decisive end time salvation of God. And here is Jesus stating that the end time fulfillment has started today. Because of those words. I have started eternity today. God's judgment is coming on you. I am the Messiah. I'm telling you this. That would have made their jaws hang even lower. And then the third point of his sermon was this. I have come to proclaim a new start, a year of jubilee, through my offer of divine deliverance. I am the one who's going to bring this about. I'm saying the words. I'm making the proclamation. I will make it happen too. Why? Because I am the Messiah. It's interesting to note what the people did. Murmuring started. So from silence, Jesus made this dramatic statement, he can hear these murmurs. And what are they saying? Isn't this Joseph's son? Why does he say he's the Messiah? How can he say he's God? We know his pedigree, we know his dad, we know his mum, we know his brothers and sisters. And Matthew spells it out really well. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53 to 58. It says this, they took offense at Jesus. How can he say this? We know his folks. How can he claim to be God? You, the Messiah, you come to initiate the end time fulfillment, you bringing us deliverance? Come on, Jesus. Prove yourself first. Like you've been doing these great works around us that we've heard about, show us. Prove it with something that we can see. You see, they liked his eloquence of speech. And he must have said some more there that is not recorded for us here in Scripture. But they liked the way that he said it. They liked his words. His words gripped them. But they wanted more. They wanted miracles. They wanted other things to prove who Jesus was. In other words, Jesus, show your stuff. We can't believe you. We know you. The Messiah, come on. Do you see the prejudice starting in them? You see, there was a choice to be made about Jesus that day. He was saying, I am the Messiah. And they could either accept that or reject it. There was no in-between anymore. They understood his message. They'd heard it before. But now this proclamation was ringing in their ears. The challenge was before them. I am the Messiah. Do you accept me or do you reject me? Those are the decisions. And they were maybe over familiar with this passage. They'd heard it preached many times before. They'd read it. They'd learnt it as kids. But you know, God's message often meets with rejection. You might know that in your own life. You've read something in God's Word 
And there it is in black and white. You can't escape it. And there's a, there's a decision to be made. Do I obey or do I reject? Do I accept Jesus Christ into my life or do I turn my back and walk away from him? You see, Jesus was preaching gracious words at them and the, and the word wow went through their minds. But they knew that they wanted to reject him. And Jesus knew their thoughts of rejection too. Even though they were just murmurs. He knew they were saying, isn't this just Joseph's son? And look how this develops now. What started off so well with this Jesus who was coming and we were really looking forward to what he's going to say. And then, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Now look what happens. There's persecution that starts here. Verse 25. You see, they wanted Jesus to show his stuff. And so Jesus does. He says, okay, you want to see what I'm going to say. Now I'm going to take gloves off. And look what he does. And that's why they get so furious. It's not what they wanted to hear, you see. They had never heard this passage interpreted in this way. And so what Jesus does is he singles out one of the most apostate times in Israel's history. And they knew about this period in their history when the prophets Elijah and Elisha lived. They knew that those, that those two prophets lived in a time when the nation had turned their back on the Lord. They knew. And they tried not to remember that time in their history. But here Jesus brings it up, right in their eyes again. And he says, you remember that time when Elijah and Elisha were alive? And you as the nation had turned your backs on, on the nations around you. You weren't living as God had told you to be. You weren't bringing um, freedom for those who were in oppression. You weren't living that message of freedom. Well, he says, during that time, God turned his back on you. And his grace went towards the Gentiles. There were Gentiles living in surrounding areas to Israel. And God went and worked in them and showed them grace because they trusted him when you didn't. You see, Jesus got the gloves off. And he's referring to that story in 1 Kings 17 verses 8 to 16. The widow of Zarephath. You remember that? The heavens were closed. No rain came upon the land. It was a drought. No one had any food. And there was this one widow with her son. And God kept that jar of oil going and going and going. Remember that? Because the prophet was staying with her. And she trusted in God, the God of Israel, when she was a Gentile. And God showed his grace and his mercy towards her. While Israel was living in apostasy. And then he relates the story of Naaman, the Syrian. 2 Kings 5, verses 1 to 15. You see, he was a Gentile too. And he broke out with leprosy. And he had that little slave girl, an Israelite girl, staying with him, who was a believer in, in Messiah, in, in, in God himself. And she said, if you just listen, and if you just go to the prophets of my country, my God can heal you. And in the beginning, what did he do? He turned his back and said, come on. I'm not going to do this. But in the end, he relented. And he went. And the prophet said to him, you just go and dip in the river, Jordan, this muddy Jordan River. You go and dip in there. Obey this and you will be healed. And what does Naaman do? Initially, he rejects it. What? I'm not going to go in this muddy old river. It's a bit like Wanganui sometimes, all right? I'm not going to go and dip in there. We've got beautiful, clear, clean rivers where I come from. I'll just go and do it there. But in the end, he relents and he trusts God 
He comes up out of that water. And the Bible says his leprous skin was healed and it was like a baby's skin. Perfect. Because God had healed him. You see, another Gentile, a foreigner who trusted God and God showed him grace and mercy at a time when Israel had turned their backs on him. You see, the sovereign God is no man's debtor. God is faithful to those who are faithful to him. And if you put your life and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, God will pour his blessings on you. But if you turn your back on the Lord, whether you are Jew or Gentile, you will not experience God's blessing. At this, the people had had enough. Who does this man think he is? He's coming to tell us that us Jews are worse than Phoenician widows and Syrian lepers, and lepers were outcasts in the community, by the way. They are better than us Jews, God's people. Would God withhold his divine grace from us Jews, yet extend it to Gentiles? How dare he speak this? And with that, they take Jesus, and it would have been bodily, and they bundled him out and walked him to the edge of the cliff, and they were going to push him over there. But the Bible just says, Jesus walked in amongst their midst, and he passed through them. Now, how that happened, I don't know. But he is the Son of God. He walked through them. And he still had work to do, you see. Man couldn't touch him. Well, that's the Luke account. Now we get to the so what question. We've read this, but how does that apply to you and I? You see, today we've heard just another sermon, and I say heard because we're nearly through. Alright? It's just another sermon. How many sermons have you sat through in your life before? If you had to draw a graph of sermons and change in my life, What would the correlation be there? The number of sermons you've heard and the amount of change that's happened. Or are there a whole lot of sermons but not much change? You see, that's what these people's problems were as well. They'd heard many sermons, but there was no change. But this sermon was different. They didn't like this sermon. Because this sermon demanded change from them. Is your life changing or are you sitting in and out of sermons and nothing changes? Second point of application, and I've got six of them for you this morning from this passage, is this one. There's a key question you and I need to answer from this passage this morning, and that is this. Who is Jesus to you? Now, when you read about Jesus in Scripture, he might not live up to your expectations either. You might not like what he has to say about himself or about you. But that, does that change the reality of who Jesus actually is? You see, these people wanted a Jesus who was just another man who would come and another teacher who would come and teach them in the temple. They didn't want this one who spoke with such authority, who challenged their very hearts. That's the last one they wanted. Who is Jesus to you? When you read Jesus' commands to you, Do you listen to this Messiah? 
Or do you also, by your disobedience, just turn away from him? You see, you've got to come back to this question. Who is Jesus to you? Is he the real Messiah in your life? You see, Peter said it this way. He says, when he was asked, who do the people say I am? He said, he, Jesus said, who am I, Peter? And he said, you are the Christ of God. You are the Christ of God. In other words, Lord, I bow my knee to you. I will be obedient to you, whatever comes. You are the Christ of God. Is he the Christ of God to you this morning? There's a third question I want to put before you. There's a choice to be made about Jesus today. John 3 verses 18 and 19 says this. Listen to this. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do not have a living relationship with him this morning as you sit here in this chair in this church, here is God's living word coming to you this morning. This is what it says. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And sadly, and the passage carries on, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So I've got to ask you this third follow-up question this morning. Do you believe in Jesus Christ this morning as your Savior? Do you have a relationship with Him as your Savior? Do you go through every day and you interact with the Lord Jesus Christ as His Spirit guides you? Do you have a living relationship with Jesus? Or is He just someone that you've given um, assent to sometime in your life and you kind of know you're in the Christian boat and you carry on living every day, but Jesus isn't an everyday reality to you. He's not a living person to you that you speak to, that you sing to, that you praise, that you come with your sad things that happen in your life. Is he living to you? And if you do not believe in him yet, God's word says to you, you can be saved today. Come to him today. Turn from your wicked ways. Fall on your knees before your heavenly Father and say to him, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm not sure of all the facts out there, but Lord, I need you in my life because my life is empty without you. I don't know where I'm going in this eternity to come. Lord, I need you to take away my sin, to turn my head to you again and to help me through my everyday life. Lord, I bend my knee. Have you come to him and bent your knee before the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, believing is a doing word. It's not just a hearing word. It's a doing word. Fourthly, perhaps as you've read through Scripture or even something that I've said here this morning, you're infuriated by these claims. How can this man say he's the Messiah? How can Jesus demand these things of me in his word? And you're infuriated. And you know, I'm not just speaking to unbelievers here. I'm speaking to believers too. I know you've read God's word and it makes you so uncomfortable that you actually get angry about it. Lord, how can you demand this of me? You want more from me? He wants everything. But Lord, I want to keep some back for myself. I want everything from you. Do we get infuriated with God because of the demands of Scripture? St. Augustine's put it this way. Listen to these words. They love truth when it enlightens them, but hate truth when it accuses them. Tell me, does Scripture accuse you? What is your reaction to that? 
you see, there's one of two reactions. Yes, Lord, I am a sinner before you. Please forgive me. On your knees. The other one is, I will have nothing to do with this. Why should I listen to this? Exactly what the people would do. Fifthly, we as Christians have the same mandate as Jesus has. Now, Jesus came as the Messiah. He had to do what? He had to bring freedom where there was only captivity. And he lists those. We have the same mandate as the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is called this church. The, the Lord has called this church as Wanganui East Baptist with the same mandate into this community. And yes, sometimes we are not really good at it. A lot of times. But the Lord has put us here and we are also to be obedient to Him. We are to be active in our service in this community. We are to be salt and light in this community. And so when the flip charts go out in town, and I saw Sue in action yesterday in town, they're speaking to people about their faith or lack of faith. Yes, that is giving God glory. It is doing, it is keeping up with that mandate that Christ has given to us. When we have the hospital chapel services going, and we've got some of our people there this morning, helping serve the sick and those who are not well. That is the mandate we are obeying. When we serve people with meals on wheels, and we've put notices out asking people, serve the community. We are to do this for the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we are giving God glory. When we get involved in the prison ministry, and here we have the, the prison chaplain of Wanganui here in our midst, and how are we helping in that service? Not many of us yet, but I'm praying that the Lord will give more of us. How are you serving the Lord? Are you obeying this mandate that the Messiah came to fulfill and now fulfills through us? Are you in your personal life? Are you obedient to the call of Jesus on your life? Do you too proclaim Jesus' offer of salvation to your neighbors, to your family, to your friends, to your colleagues, to your children? Do you tell them? That's part of our mandate, you see. Jesus came to fulfill it. We come to complete it in him. Or maybe you're living in a time of personal apostasy like Israel yourself. Are you? Are you experiencing God's blessing in your life? Or are you in a time of personal apostasy, turning your back on God? Where are you this morning? And you see, maybe God will call you, like he did Elijah and Elisha, to serve in ways that you're not familiar with. You know, I'm sure Elijah and Elisha didn't think, we're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. They wouldn't have thought that. They were Jews too. But God took them into the Gentile territory. And they had to go and do this uncomfortable thing. Well, God might call you and I to do things that we think we can't do. But what does God want from us? He wants us to put ourselves in his hands and then he will energize. We will also be spirit-empowered to do the work that God gives us to do. Yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Yes, we believe that He empowers us for the task that He gives us to do. But the question is, do we use that power or do we deny its power by being disobedient to God? Lastly this morning, Jesus proclaims a year of jubilee for you too. You see, today is the day where you've heard the gospel message and it could be that Jesus says to you, you too can have a fresh start in life. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. It doesn't matter what you've been up to 
or those things that you've committed, you can put all those things behind you because in Christ those things are forgiven. You too can have a new start, a year of jubilee. Jesus proclaims it for you and I this morning. And in your Christian life, if you've been living a life that has been powerless, that has been spiritless, and you've been going through the motions of Christianity, you too can live a jubilee life from today if you will but be obedient to the Lord, if you will listen to His voice, if you will give yourself over to the Spirit and to what He wants you to do. No more excuses. Live a powerful life, a Spirit-empowered life. And God will be glorified. And you will fulfill the mandate that Jesus has left with you and I. Can you put that picture up for me, please? You see, in our lives, and I'm going to come back to this one, who is in your life with Jesus Christ? What is in your life with Jesus Christ? We are not to have a relationship like that with our Lord. And so often we do, don't we? Because if you think of your life, and you start thinking of things that are in your life, we've kind of got this cozy relationship sometimes. And I think God is calling us to this as a church. As we've been going through our sermons here at Wanganui East Baptist, we've heard how, how the Lord helps us through temptation. How we can get out of temptation. He's taught us about church unity. And today he's teaching us about obedience. Are we hearing God's word? Are we hearing God's word? Are we applying as a church? I can only pray that God will turn each one of us into obedient Christians. That's all I can do as a pastor. I can't push anyone's heads below the water. You must do your own drink. But the benefits will come to this church. God's blessing if we are an obedient church. And that starts with every single individual sitting here who calls yourself Christian. If you are obedient to the Lord, the blessings will flow through to this body and into your life and your family. But if you are not obedient, the blessing will stop even to this whole church. Are you fickle in your faith? These people were. Hebrews 3 verse 7 and 8 says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart, because you'll be doing exactly what these people did. We want nothing to do with you, Jesus. I would rather push you over the cliff than submit to you. Let's pray. Lord, in your timing and in your sovereignty, you've brought us before this passage today and the challenge has come from your word. Do we accept you as the Messiah, as God's only Son, the only way to the Father, the demands you've put up of us in Scripture, but with the help of the Holy Spirit? Or do we turn our backs on you and say, I can't accept you as Lord of my life. 
or I can't accept you as being totally Lord of my life, Lord, forgive us. And Lord, forgive us as a church body too, where we haven't lived up to the mandate that you've put before us. But Lord, you give us your word to bring us back to what you want. And then you give us your spirit to make it happen. Lord, keep us dependent on your spirit. May this church be a spirit-empowered church because we are an obedient church. And Lord, I pray for every single individual sitting here today. May we all come before you and ask ourselves, who is Jesus Christ to me? Is he my Savior and my Lord? Or just someone that I give head knowledge to? Lord, may we have a living relationship with you, our Lord and our Savior. And then you will use us, not just in our families and our workplaces, but in this community. Be glorified, we pray. Amen.